This podcast is brought to you by Story King Books. Sign up now and get a free copy of my latest ebook, Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro. The link will be in the show notes. And now for today's episode. Welcome to the Story King Podcast, the show featuring inspirational conversations about the art and business of storytelling and living life. I'm your host, John Carlo, and today's guest is author and artist of comics and graphic novels, Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper is a world traveler, comic book and graphic novel author and illustrator, jazz musician, and public school art teacher for the last 17 years. Very excited to talk to this man. He's had a very interesting life so far. Here is my conversation with Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper, welcome to the Story King podcast. Wow, thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, my pleasure. As I begin all my podcasts, I like to ask my guests a little bit about what their story is. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Ah, uh, wow. That is a, a, an interesting question because I have a lot of uh, different stories. When <laughs> I was a painting major back in college, my instructors used to tease me about my one-man group shows because uh, I would do a lot of different paintings and a lot of different styles. And they would sort of say, it, it looks like a group show. So I've done a lot of different things, not really all of them terribly successfully. Uh, I've kind of been stumbling through life backwards and stumbling into hilarious situations and, you know, making a, a life and a career in the arts. So let me, let me see if I can kind of put some high, some high points on it. I was born in Indiana. Uh, my dad was a, an, an instructor who's chairman of the music department uh, at Indiana Purdue in Fort Wayne and then uh, moved to Oklahoma moved to Alabama from there. My dad was a music instructor. He was the chairman of the music department at Oklahoma State. He was also the chairman of the music department at South Alabama in Mobile. That's where I got my degree in painting. I'm a musician from a family of musicians and decided to out-bohemian them all by majoring in art <laughs> and painting and drawing. And uh, once upon a time, I found myself out in Hollywood and I just almost literally stumbled into working on the crew of a couple of movies did a couple things like that. And I almost literally stumbled into teaching uh, in, in public schools. Um, I built Mardi Gras floats. Uh, I've done all, just all kinds of stuff. I mean, I've supported myself as a jazz musician for a period of time. A lot of different experiences and these all kind of go into you know, the various art projects that I pursue. So family of artists, and then you out bohemian them all by uh, becoming a, an actual painter instead of a musician. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, and it was the kind of thing too of, you know, I have a, a sister who's a cellist. I have a brother who's a violinist slash audio engineer. Uh, I have a brother who was a performance flute major. And then I, I discussed it with my dad one time. And I said that I wanted music to be something I wanted to do and not something that I had to do. Mm. Uh, for a living. So then I decided to major in, in art because I liked that too. And growing up, it was, we always had uh, paper and crayons and pencils. And anytime you wanted to draw anything, you could. And anytime you wanted to play a musical instrument, you could. And so rather than choosing one or the other, I decided to kind of you know, try to meld both of those into doing things. Was it a specific style that you majored in? 
not really, not really. No, it was, it'd probably be better if it was, <laughs> but, uh, uh, it was just sort of a free form, uh, kind of thing. They taught you some basics. Most of the, uh, most of the drawing classes I had were very structured, you know, and here's mm-hmm. how you do this. And, and, uh, you know, drawing from life and drawing from, you know, you look at things, you draw and you follow the steps. And the painting classes I had were all very just kind of exploratory. Um, mm. You know, my first painting class I ever had was, you know, here you're going to do one in a pop art style and here you're going to do one in a cubist style. And now you're mm-hmm. going to do one. In, and it was kind of just looking at different, uh, you know, styles. And then the rest of the painting classes were always like, just kind of, you know, figure out what you want to do as an artist and you paint it. And then you'd at the end of the, of the series, you'd have a critique. My main painting instructor, uh, Mr. Jim Kennedy from, from South Alabama, I always loved the imitations of him because he would come by and give you the most esoteric advice, you know, like, think more free. <laughs> You're like, like what, is th- what does that even mean? Yeah, like, real cryptic, yeah. Yeah, you know, try more orange. Like, like <laughs> you mean literally like orange color? No, just think more orange. Like, okay, I have no idea what he's talking about. Right. Um, but it was kind of cool because one of the things, you know, as I say, as a musician, it, it kind of made me realize why most of your better rock bands come out of art school instead of music school, right. because in, in art school, there are no, there are no mistakes. There are no wrong answers. It's just sort of like different ways of approaching things. Mm-hmm. And in music class, there are definitely wrong answers. Right. <laughs> you know, we all so. know when you hit a wrong note, there's no uh, mistake about it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, so that was kind of the, just the, the painting background and, Honestly, I kind of got into jazz because of that instructor. Um, there was sort of a, a running joke at the school that he was a, a big jazz fan. And if you did paintings of jazz musicians, you'd get a really good grade. <laughs> and so I got some books on, you know, with just a bunch of um, photographs of uh, jazz musicians, mostly Leonard Feather uh, photographs, like Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie. Mm. I started, you know, putting some of these characters in some of the paintings. And then uh, I sort of started listening to the music and going, wow, this is, yeah, this is incredible stuff. Before you know it, you find yourself playing jazz music. <laughs> did, did, did you get a good grade in that class? Did it work? Yeah, it did. <laughs> nice. <laughs> now, my, you know, my wife is a New York City elementary school teacher, uh, music teacher, and I understand you have experience teaching art in the public schools for the last 17 years. What, what has that experience been like for you? It, it is, uh, it's crazy. Most teachers quit within the first five years. Uh, that's, yeah, that's just like a, you know, a fact. And every day is different. Every class is different. Every student is different. And that's, that's a crazy kind of thing to try to keep up with, you know, because what worked last week or last year or two years ago doesn't necessarily work today. Hmm. And so you kind of have to think on your feet and adapt and, uh, and just do what you can to stay in there. I got into teaching because I had got a phone call one day. I was working in a cabinet shop, actually. I was, uh, I was building furniture and things like that. I got a call from a friend of my dad's who uh, was hiring for the school system. And he said, uh, you have a, an art degree, right? And I said, yeah, I got a degree in painting. He said, well, um, do you want to be a teacher? And I said, well, I don't, I don't have any, you know, teaching training at all. He said, yeah, we're really desperate. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so then he was saying, uh, well, can you basically start, uh, you know, like Monday? And I think it was wow. a Thursday. It was about a Thursday afternoon when he called. <laughs> and I was like, um, 
yeah, I, I guess. So, you know, I, I called my boss at the, uh, at the cabinet shop and talked with him. He was very supportive about it. He said, yeah, definitely yeah, you know, go. It's way, way better pay and stuff. And so Monday morning I put on a tie and a shirt and was walking into a classroom going, hi kids. <laughs> I'm Mr. Harper. I'm your art teacher. And I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of stumbled into it, huh? So that's pretty cool. Yes, so did they let literally. you build your own curriculum or how did that work? Luckily, yes. Yes, I was, it was kind of just a, I guess you could say a band-aid approach to it. Like they were just kind of, we got to give the kids something with art, you know, mm -hmm. and, and me being an artist slash musician as well, I was able to kind of incorporate both, you know, because some of the schools I taught at were sort of like, oh, could you teach music too? And so we'd, you know, sing songs and play music games. And I'd just try to teach them as much as I could about creativity and art and music and the arts and dance a little bit and drama and things like that. And just kind of try to make it an arts with a, you know, capital A and an S instead of just an art class, you know, you try to do as much as you can and hope some of it sticks. <laughs> right. Now the area where you are, is it right of me to assume that they have a pretty strong support for the arts in the, in the school districts there? I've been very fortunate uh, in that, Yes, there has. I have had a lot of support from uh, a lot of the administration and things like that uh, over the years. But you know, I mean, in the deep south, the school funding—if if people start cutting anything—the arts is usually where they cut. I I did one time have a year where uh, the, the principal came to me and literally said, "Your budget this year is zero dollars. You have <laughs> no money at all to teach art to six hundred kids for all year." And I said, "Okay, well, right." <laughs> You know, she's like, well, you're not going to argue. And I said, would it help? And she said, no. And I said, well, let's move on then. You know, like, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Don't know what I'm going to do, but we'll do something. <laughs> she's like, you're the artist. You'll think of something, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, we, we did a lot of, uh, a lot of recycling projects, did a lot right. of stuff with <laughs> stuff that other people threw away. And, uh, you know, that's, like I say, that's kind of stuff I try to incorporate in, in all the artistic projects that I work on is, you know, That's a very cool idea. Yeah. Use what you can use what you got, you know. Now, 17 years is, is a long time. Have you seen any differences in the kids coming in? Do they have a different attitude towards art at all? Or Yeah, um, it, it was kind of an interesting situation that I was uh, I've been able to be in in the current school system that I'm in Hancock County Schools. I taught at the elementary school for a couple of years, uh, three or four, and then I moved up to the high school. And it's the same school system and a lot of the, I've had a lot of the same students. And so I was able to see them at elementary school and then see them six or seven years later when they got into high school hmm. and see, you know, if it, if anything I said stuck, if any kids were still with it, if, if any of the kids still remembered anything or, uh, you know, things like that, you know, it's, uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> Some, I wish I could say, yes, it's all great. They all love art and every kid remembered everything I said. And, uh, right. <laughs> I wish I could say that, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. That happens. As sure. far as your degree in painting, how did that eventually evolve into sequential art? Really? When I was working on painting, I had absolutely no exposure to comic books or sequential art or anything like that, except for the works of Roy Lichtenstein. And like, like that was it. We, we, you know, you're doing pop art, you look at, uh, you know, Lichtenstein paintings. One time I did a, a painting of, uh, you know, Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. Oh yeah. You know, pop art style. There you go. 
And I really never thought that much about it. And about 2008, um, I just had this idea to just kind of try to write a comic strip about me and my wife. My, my wife and I, uh, she's a singer, sort of through my doing. She was not a singer. She got uh, you know involved with a musician. When we first started dating, I told her being involved with a musician is a lot like being involved with a firefighter. If a fire comes up, you just go. And that's the thing about a musician is that you get a call about a gig, you, you take the gig, you know, right. New Year's Eve, forget it. It's, I got a gig, you know, Christmas Eve, whatever, I've got a gig. And she was cool with that. And so eventually I dragged her up on stage because I didn't want to have to be away from her that long. <laughs> and, you know, Lucy and Desi, uh, Louie and Keely, they're all kinds of husband and wife teams. So 2008, I sort of started a comic strip series called Heather and the Monkey King, which is also the name of our band. Um, <laughs> And I did nothing with it. I had had a couple. We put it on our website, and you know, I guess I was kind of expecting the world to just go, "Wow, this is the greatest comic strip ever!" And that did not happen. And so, uh, you know, I, I just kind of forgot about it. I put it away, and uh, until about uh, about four or five years ago, I was invited by a friend of mine, uh, Ashton Burge, uh, a good friend of mine who's very into comic books and the whole comic book world and comic cons and things like that. He was working at the local library system and he invited me to come be a part of a comic con at the local library, you know, small time affair. And I was like, dude, I don't, I don't know anything about comic books. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm just a, you know, an artist who's been working as an art teacher for a while. I don't, I think I'd be really out of place. He said, nah, come on. It'd be great. It'd be, it'd be cool. Just, just come on. So I have a booth set up and I, you know, I don't really have anything. I got some paintings there and I got mm -hmm. some sketchbooks and I opened the sketchbook to a page that I had drawn a picture of like a jungle explorer wearing a pith helmet. And, you know, he was leading a, a girl in a pith helmet through a jungle and they both have butterflies on their helmets and, you know, just butterflies are flying around. And I had, you know, like one kid after another kept walking by this booth and they kept looking at this sketch. And, you know, they would ask me, like these little kids, you know, fifth, sixth grade, it just like stop and say, what, what, what's this story? I'm like, there's no story. It's just a picture. And they're like, no, no, I mean, but, but the characters, what, which character is this? I'm like, kid, I don't know. It's just a picture. I just drew it. Go away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and like, and they just like one after another, all these kids kept coming by and coming by and asking me about the story. And I'm like, uh, I, I don't have any idea about a story here. And that afternoon, I, I just had so many kids that came up and were interested in this character and, and this thing. So I just, I just went home and for the first time in my life, seriously tried to write a story hmm. and it worked. You know, I, I tried a bunch of times when I was like a kid, I used to write stuff all the time and, you know, I'll be over at my mom's house and, and I'll find, you know, old notebooks where I started a story, you know, and it's like, I got about a sentence or two into it. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had to go mow the lawn or whatever. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that's not true because my mom and dad were great in the sense that if you, uh, if you were doing something artistic, you got to get out of chores. Nice. Like, <laughs> yeah. You, it, Hey, go wash the dishes. Mom, I'm practicing cello. Oh, okay. You don't have to wash the dishes. <laughs> You know, go vacuum the living room. Oh, mom, I'm writing a story. Okay, you don't have to vacuum. I mean, they, they, my entire life, they were like that. Um, my mom's still like that. And uh, it's great. It is. It's very important that you, you choose your parents carefully. Uh, out right. there, kids. <laughs> choose your parents carefully. So I, I went home and I remembered 
some advice that I had heard. I heard an interview with Diablo Cody, uh, the director of Juno and mm. other films as well. And uh, driving along one day, I'm listening to NPR, and I heard an interview with her about how she writes scripts. And the, the way that she uses a index card, she like says, or it said in this interview that she would take an index card and she just writes something that she wanted to have in a movie, like, you know, car chase, explosion, whatever. And not even a full sentence, just here's what I want to have in the movie. I want to have this happen. So I was like, okay, I, let me give it a shot. Let me, I think I can handle that. And so, you know, I was writing stuff like, you know, quicksand, uh, you know, jungle cruise, you know, that kind of, I like, mm -hmm. I love the, the Disney ride, the jungle cruise. I've been on a bunch of times. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, you know, lost city full of treasure. Yeah. And just trying to combine a bunch of things that I had seen in a lot of movies when I was a kid, you know, kind of the, the serials that inspired George Lucas, um, and that kind of thing. So I, I put all of these, uh, you know, index cards together and then started play around with the order. Cause that's, you know, again, what, what Miss Cody said to do, you just sort of look at it and say, well, this has to come before this and this has to come before this and this, so oh, this has to be after that. And this doesn't really fit. So maybe we'll put this in a different pile. And uh, before I knew it, I had, you know, a couple of hundred index cards there that had an entire story, like just absolutely written out for me. And I was like, okay, wow, this is great. Right. <laughs> um, and so I, uh, then I started working on drawings. I started working on, you know, taking these two rough sketches of a character that I had and saying, okay, I need a different character. I need to add, you know, peripheral characters. I need to add this kind of thing. And uh, I, I remembered also at this particular point, a thing that I heard about business and saying that successful businesses are market driven, not product driven. And I thought, Okay, that explains why artists are terrible business people because <laughs> artists are entirely about their product. You mm -hmm. know, as a as a musician or as a writer or as a as a painter, you know, you create a product and there you go. And I and I think it kind of in my opinion has to almost be that way because I feel like any and this is just my opinion, you know, but I feel like any art that like if I said I'm going to paint shrimp boats because people buy pictures of shrimp boats. I think that's a little disingenuous and I don't think it's really, it's not good art, right? If I say I'm going to write a horror story because people like horror stories, it's like, uh, okay, but I don't think that's the way to approach it. If you want to write, you know, a particular kind of story or paint a particular kind of painting and it's what you want to do as an artist. Yeah. Fantastic. Do it. That's, that's true. That's honest. That's genuine. So all that by way of saying, I was looking at this one particular comic con and seeing this interest that people were having in this character. And I said, ah, here is an idea that I have that I want to pursue that actually seems to have a market for it. So let me, let me pursue this. And so I started doing rough sketches and then before I knew it, I had the whole thing sketched out and drawn out and it was 500 pages and I'm like, okay, fantastic. Well now, what do I do? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so then I started the next step of, uh, you know, doing the inking process and trying to, you know, clean up all your sketches. And, you know, really it all came about because I wanted to be a filmmaker. <laughs> like, I, it would be great to make movies. I'd love to make movies. Mm -hmm. And most of the things that I do, I sort of approach it from a cinematic point of view, but uh, you know, I, I actually, 
for the past couple of days, I've been listening to uh, to all kinds of Story King podcasts. I've been listening to some of your past nice. seasons. <laughs> yeah, I particularly like the uh, the interview you had with David Chamberlain, the uh, oh yeah actor. That was a that was a really good one. I, I enjoyed that one a lot. But it kind of you know he was talking about uh, film as being the ultimate collaborative art form, and mm-hmm. you know I totally agree. And I just don't know that many people that are into it down here on the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. And I you know the nice thing about doing things as graphic novels or comic strips is that I can just do it by myself. I just do it right here <laughs> right. at a desk. I just draw stuff out and say, yeah, this is how the camera angle would be. And so it's, it can be a kind of solitary thing. Right. You know? Well, you know, what's interesting. I, I never heard movie scripts compared to like comics, but you're absolutely right. They're very, very similar. And even the whole idea of movies is a very sequential type of yeah. storytelling. And, and not only that, if you look at almost any movie that's been done you know, ever, uh, it starts as a storyboard. It starts essentially right. as a comic book. It, you know, I, I've seen the storyboards for Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, I, I've seen the storyboards for Star Wars. And, and that's how movies start off because you get the idea out of your head and you get it onto paper so somebody else can take a look at it and go, yeah, okay, I know where to set the camera for that. You know, and it's uh, movies are great. I actually got in i have a weird background with movies because when i was in about sixth or seventh grade my mom took a a university class in the history of film Hmm. and so like you know every thursday night she would go to this class and they'd watch old movies and she didn't have a babysitter for me so i went with her (laughs) and so you know i'm sitting there watching the battle on the ice and alexander nevsky i'm i'm sitting there watching uh, seven samurai by akira kurosawa i'm sitting there watching old charlie chaplin films and this is you know this is about you know early 80s um mm-hmm. and this is not what most kids are watching you know but i'm just like <laughs> seeing uh, you know humphrey bogart and it's like oh man this stuff is great and i i still remember this conversation i had with my mom uh we were driving along after I saw Star Wars, probably one of the really early times I saw Star- the the first for those kids at home, the first Star Wars, which was just called Star Wars. Now it's called Episode Four: A New Hope, but at the time it was just called Star Wars. And she was describing to me the, the what an anti-hero was, mm. and she was saying, "Okay, Han Solo. Han Solo is the anti-hero. He's not the hero. He's not the villain. He's out for you know. He can do whatever he wants to and." Sometimes he leans good, sometimes he leans bad. And I was like, okay, yeah, anti-hero. All right, yeah, I see how that is. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so I have this real, you know, background in, you know, wanting to make film and things like that. So if I'm doing a, a graphic novel or things, I'm thinking very cinematic. I'm thinking very much in terms of you know, movies, really. I don't have the connections to do movies. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you do what you can. You do what yeah. you can, you know. <laughs> Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take the time to let you know about my latest book. It's called Massimo's Mirror and Other Stories. It's my first collection of short stories. The book uses fantasy, science fiction, and fairy tales to create a world where a magical array of protagonists conquer their fears, battle forces of evil, and step up to meet their potential. Suitable for the secular and religious alike, these stories are full of symbolism and quirky characters, including aliens, robots, angels, demons, superheroes, 
gods, animals, giants, monsters, and dragons, and just the right length to hold the attention of children and adults alike, all 50 stories are crafted to entertain and make us see behind the veil of reality and perhaps teach something along the way. The ebook and paperback editions are available on Amazon. You can purchase an autographed copy on my website, storykingbooks.com. Also, if you sign up on Story King Books with your email, you'll get a free copy of my latest PDF resource, Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro. And now back to today's episode. I was going to ask you that earlier. So you basically, you definitely consider yourself more of an artist than an author. The author sort of came... Uh, as happenstance from this Comic-Con festival you went to? You know, yeah, but I've always, I mean, and that's the thing too. I mean, I'm trying to figure out a good answer for this. I, I don't really try to label myself that much. I kind of just, you know, to quote Pee Wee Herman, I'm a rebel. I'm a loner. I, things about me you couldn't understand, things you wouldn't understand, things you shouldn't understand. <laughs> um, I kind of just do what I want right? <laughs> in, ter in terms of artistic projects. I don't, I don't suffer from any kind of, well, I'm a painter. What am I doing writing? You know, it's like, if I want to write something, I'll write something. If I want to paint something, I'll paint something. And I think part of that comes from my punk rock background. When I was in, in high school, I was, it was just it was living in two worlds. I was playing cello in a student symphony. So I'm playing Mozart and Beethoven and, you know, just doing the classical music stuff, which is great. And I love it. And, and it's, a big part of me. And then I discovered like the cramps and the Ramones and, you know, early you know, punk and new wave bands. And I was mm -hmm. like, Hey, these guys are only using one chord. Hey, I can figure that out on a guitar. Hey, I don't have to be good. I can just play with a rock band. And so, you know, uh, so I'm playing in student symphony, but I'm also playing in rock bands. And so then it, it just reminded me of one of the things you said in the, uh, in one of your, I think it actually was the same David Chamberlain uh, episode. You said that all stories should be written in their shortest possible form, I think. That's my philosophy, yeah. That's your philosophy? Okay. <laughs> well, when I started songwriting, uh, you know, songwriting is, is saying, okay, I'm going to take a story and I'm going to put it down into three minutes with a guitar solo, you know? So it's like, ooh, that's, that's pretty short. You know, you right. get <laughs> um, some things like that. And, you know, what are your qualifications to write songs? I was a 16-year-old kid with a guitar. That was my qualification. I just started. Sometimes I'd write slower, longer songs. Sometimes they'd have more words. Sometimes they were short, fast songs. And, you know, so writing wasn't really foreign to me. My mom is a writer, uh, but she's also a very self-conscious writer and never lets anybody read anything she's ever written. So, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes so for Christmas, I just say, I say, mom, why don't you just you know, write me a poem? That's what I want. I don't want anything else. I just want to read something you've read. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of my artistic development is really just because of my parents, you know, music from dad and, uh, and literature from mom and film from mom. I mean, that sounds like a great background, honestly, having that, that rich history of, uh, of the arts in there. So has anybody in the family read your mom's work or she doesn't even let you guys read it? No, I, I think actually I'm the, I'm the person that's read the most of it. Wow. Um, yeah, she's just a uh, you know very harsh critic of everything of of herself. I mean, she's a big fan of all the stuff her kids do, mm -hmm. and you know, I get a graphic novel, I let mom read it. You know, uh, write a song, I let mom hear it. That's that's just uh, you know everything what I do. So, and she's big supporter, big fan, and my dad was too. I uh, lost my dad last uh, a year ago in May. Oh, sorry um, to hear that. Yeah, yeah, but he, but you know, it was it wasn't a surprise. It was. You know, we had a good long time together and a lot of people don't have that. And I was really, really lucky to have the time with him that I did. 
and, you know, a really powerful personality and, you know, giving me the gift of music is something that, you know, it's like, he's, it's, it's like, he's not gone because music's there, uh, you know, and, right. you know, it's just, just the, the love of the arts. Like he deposited that in you and, and that lives on. That's very cool. And you also said he's, he was like your biggest fan, you said, right? And your biggest supporter and on your board tireless, of directors. Tireless promoter. Yeah, he was, he was always, uh, you know, just like, you know, I need a copy of your latest CD. I need a copy of this book. I need, you know, I got somebody at church. I want to get a copy of the, this thing too. You know, he's just like, I'm sure all his friends were just like tired of hearing about me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, tireless supporter. He would absolutely... And really, he just exposed me to so much stuff, you know, uh, through film, through uh, through music, through literature. I mean, one of my like like my dad loved James Bond movies, and so mm. you know, like I would just sit there on Saturday afternoons watching, you know, Doctor No with with Dad and that kind of thing. But then also, um, like the author P. G. Woodhouse. I don't know if you you know him. He's the guy that sure. did uh, did Jeeves and Wooster, British writer, uh, like kind of nineteen twenties ish hilarious just hilarious stuff and um so in in my first graphic novel quest for the golden butterfly uh i i took a great deal of inspiration from pg woodhouse and from his characters you know of kind of like you know the the good for nothing british aristocracy and they're really helpful uh you know butlers and that kind of thing so a lot of comic possibilities there but if it weren't for my dad i'd, I'd have no idea who pg woodhouse was uh, or, you know, Kurt Vonnegut or, or any of the, you know, a lot of the writers that he introduced me to as well. Wow. Very cool. I wanted to, something you said, you said artists are not the, the best business people. And, and I don't know why Typically. I didn't mention this in the, uh, in the email correspondence, but my, my own grandfather was actually a painter his whole life. He painted uh, surrealism and, yeah. uh, and he also painted portraits for all these world leaders, including Winston Churchill, the president of Mexico. Wow. Italy. Yeah. He, he was an Italian painter, Arrigo Gadini. You can Google him later. But yeah, but my uncle, I was, I interviewed him because he, he, he's written a book and he was telling me stories about him, how he would just paint a portrait. And he said, and back in those days, in the like 50s, he would charge 15,000 because they're a world leader. They're able to do it. And that was in today's money, 15,000 was, that was a whole year salary. Yeah, and, yeah. but he said, he wasn't like Picasso in the sense that, you know, Picasso and uh, Salvador Dali, they were able to really promote themselves. They had this business flair right. that, uh, that my grandfather did not have. <laughs> so he, was right, all, right. he would paint and then he would only take another job when my grandmother started complaining about them running out of money. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's when he would be like, okay, I'll go paint another painting. And then he'd come back and be like, all right, here's the money, you know, and then he, and then he would just, uh, so he, my uncle was telling me he just had like zero ambition to, to be like Picasso. And he, he actually met Salvador Dali and, and, and these people, but, uh, he didn't have the same, you know, self-promotion right. that these guys had. So, so true about the artist and the business person. It's like, you got to have two sides to, to really, to really pursue that. Absolutely. Well, you know, and that was one of the things too, when I, when I started thinking about, you know, like I said earlier, this, uh, this comic strip about me and my wife and our adventures and stuff. Uh, it kind of reminded me of, I heard a story one time about a guy who decided he's going to be a bear hunter. And so he would like load a gun every day and he'd walk out to the edge of the forest and he'd just raise it up and shoot into the forest. 
right. and then just like go home and just right. you couldn't understand why he would wouldn't get any bears <laughs> right <laughs> it's kind of what i felt like with with some of the you know comic strip things right <laughs> and and so through after i you know got finished with my first uh you know graphic novel i i went back and revisited a couple of the heather and the monkey king comic strips and added some more to it and uh you know had that self-published just uh, you know had them printed up and then through um getting introduced to the world of comic conventions and stuff like that i have a friend michael dixon uh down here on the gulf coast who has uh, i call him my sherpa uh you know because he's sort of the guy that guides me through i'm like wait, wait what am i supposed to do at a comic con and oh well you do this you do this and you don't don't do this you're not allowed to just take pictures of people like yes well, oh okay thanks you know just tell me these things but yeah and through that i've, I've kind of uh gotten a little bit more of a business model like you know okay you go to a comic con you have some stuff for sale you talk to people you know get them interested in what you're doing and then uh you know they they buy your products and you know and, and it's it's kind of working you know i was really sort of just getting the ball rolling when the whole shutdown and the covid thing started uh, i had a bunch of comic cons lined up for the like the last year year and a half and then a lot of those canceled uh, and then I was actually, they're, they're just starting to get rolling again. I was actually today supposed to be uh, at a comic con uh, over in Louisiana, but with the Delta variant numbers rising up, I was just looking at it going, I just don't want to risk that kind of thing. Cause I mean, right. I, I've gotten my vaccination, uh, but I have an eight year old daughter and my daughter can't be vaccinated. And, okay. you know, and so it's just like, yeah, I really want to do this comic convention, but I can't risk that. I can't risk my daughter, you know? Right. Well, that's and, understandable. It's, it's, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, kind of fits and starts. I like to say I'm at the beginning of a rags to riches story and yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> it'll, it, it'll get rolling again one of these days. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, one of the comics I was reading from you, the Heather and the Monkey King, I really enjoyed the one about your mustache and how mm. She's not getting any of the attention and everybody's praising your mustache. Is, is this a real issue when you guys uh, go to places? <laughs> yeah, that that most of most of my comic strips that start off, they the first 75 percent of the story is actually just fact. It's all just quotes. <laughs> right. And then usually like the last page is kind of like the the absurd conclusion of what might have happened. But uh, yeah, that that actually was a, an actual event that happened. We were invited to a Mardi Gras ball, uh, which I don't know if you uh, up there in New York, if y'all know, if y'all know what a Mardi Gras <laughs> ball is, we all get dressed up in tails, uh, you know, white tie and tails. And it's, uh, you know, drinking and dancing, mm -hmm. and just a celebration because, hey, why not? And so, yeah, we were at this uh, at this Mardi Gras ball. I was dressed in my my tails. My wife was in her uh, beautiful ball gown and everybody kept going. I love your mustache. Cause I mean, for those of you at home who can't see the picture, I, I have a, a handlebar mustache in there. Not quite Salvador Dali, but it's, uh, it's pretty inspired impressive. by him. Pretty impressive. So my Thank listeners you. can get the idea. <laughs> Thank you, my good man. Thank you. Um, and yeah, so we were, we were, we got up to the ticket booth and the lady's like, can I have your ticket? Oh my gosh, I love your mustache. <laughs> and we just kept walking around and everybody just kept stopping me going, I love your mustache. <laughs> and my wife was getting progressively more and more angry at me. <laughs> right. And she was telling me that she was angry at me when in the middle of her telling me that she was angry about me and my mustache getting all this attention, somebody stopped by and said, I love your mustache. 
And uh, so, yeah, yeah, that that is all actually true. That's right all there. true. <laughs> you know, I could see your comics being really good um, strips, like in a newspaper. Like if you're able to condense them, like, like they have that that wit and style. So it's, it's really a. Uh, that, that's what it reminded me of. It's, it reminded me of like a really good comic I would, I would see like in the paper. Oh, thanks. Thanks. That's, yeah. that's actually really the only way that I've, you know, as I said, I, I knew about Liechtenstein's paintings, which, you know, were stolen from other, uh, you know, I won't, I, I'll just go ahead and say it. I won't put mm. too fine a point on it. Um, <laughs> they were stolen from like Irv Novick and other, other comic book artists from the sixties. That's, okay. you know, and then he would just take their paintings and, you know, he'd take the, the small comic strips and blow them up into big paintings. He would just take one panel from a story and present it as art. And in fact, I think there were some, several legal challenges uh, to him over that mm. use of borrowed imagery through pop art. Um, but then that's not the only exposure I had because every Sunday, my parents uh, always, you know, subscribe to the daily paper. And I, the only part of the Sunday paper I would ever read is comics. And so, you know, Calvin and Hobbes, uh, you know, Bloom County, Dunesbury, um, I would read just comic strips like this all the time. And then I did have a lot of experience uh, you know, that was my, that was my experience with comics really was Sunday comics. And, uh, so that, I, I guess that sort of comes through and in, in how I try to write things and, you know, how my sense of humor is and, you know, things I notice and, and things that happen to me, <laughs> right. Anything that happens to me on a daily basis, I try to just pay attention to it and save that for, you know, putting into a story, yeah, either, you know, a short comic of, you know, something that my, my daughter might say, like one day, my daughter, uh, eight-year-old walked into to where I was and said, daddy, do we have a welding torch? <laughs> no. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's, uh, um, why do you ask? <laughs> sure. It's in the shed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, I, I got some welding I need to do in my laboratory. I'm like, okay, uh, let's talk to my wife about this. Um, you know, just, just, I, I, I have a big, messy mental scrapbook up, upstairs in my brain there. And it's just like everything somebody says or something that happens or, you know, funny thing that I see uh, eventually will come out, you know, somewhere else in a uh, work of some sort. Well, that's what they say about writers. Right? Nothing is wasted on a writer. You know, it's all material for future work. Yeah. You know? Well, there was one day uh, and it, without giving out too much, uh, you know, advanced notice about the, uh, you know, the epic conclusion of quest for the golden butterfly. I'm a ways off from it. Anyway, I'm only, I'm, I'm just about to send episode two to the printer right now. I got mm. episode one out there. Uh, there are going to be five altogether, but one day I was walking around underneath my house. Cause I had one of those, I had at the time, one of those houses up on stilts that we have down here in the South to prevent hurricane damage. Right. Walking underneath uh, on some, some dirt. All of a sudden uh, I just fell like six inches down in the ground just opened up. There was a sinkhole just right there. And apparently what had happened was there was a tree stump or something that had been rotting underneath the ground for, you know, years and years and years. And that was the day that it could no longer support my weight on top of it. And so I stepped down and then just all of a sudden the ground was falling out from underneath me. And then, you know, yeah, it just went down six inches, but it kind of scared me right there while it's happening. So I'm just like, "Ah, I don't even know what's going on. And so, yeah, I, I, incorporated that on a much larger scale into the, you know, the last episode of quest for the golden butterfly. There's, there's an incident where they're, you know, they're like, how are they going to get out of this situation? And all of a sudden the ground just collapses underneath them. So I'm like, <laughs> it happened to me once. Right. Know? 
No, that's very cool. Now, yeah. Quest for the Golden Butterfly was partly inspired, right, by a trip you and your wife took to Morocco. Is that right? Yes, yes. Um, it, it's not so much that the story was inspired as the coloring uh, of the whole story, the, the okay. feel of it, everything. When we were uh, first married, we took our, our honeymoon, we went to Spain and we went up to France. I know it sounds terribly glamorous, but it was really, you know, <laughs> shoestring. It was like, you know, catching trains and, you know, three o'clock in the morning, that kind of thing. And what a backpack. And right. it's amazing that we stayed married after that. Cause uh, <laughs> you know, she's like, why are you going to drag me across the whole world like this? And I had been to Morocco before I'd been one time cause I went to Disney world and I went to Epcot center and they have this whole Epcot uh, Morocco pavilion. And I just thought, man, this is so cool. So one time I was in Spain visiting my sister who, by the way, and I uh, was thinking about your grandfather who, who, painted references to Don Quixote a lot, you said, right? Yeah, very, very big on Don Quixote. Yeah. My sister uh, sometimes lives in, in Valladolid in Spain, which is uh, the town that Cervantes was from. And that's, oh, wow. yeah, so they're, they're in Castile Leon where they were, you know, although you see a lot of windmills there still to this day. Right. Um, so I had, I'd been to Spain and when I was there, I was like, oh, we're just right across from Morocco. Heck, we're practically in Morocco. Might as well go. And I went and it was just amazing. It was so foreign. I mean, I just, it sounds obvious to say, but it, it was so different from everything I'd ever seen in my entire life. The language wow. was different. The food was different. The sounds were different. The language was different. The smells were different. Uh, you know, the spices people use in cooking, every single thing. And I was trying to explain it to people back home. And I said, the, the only thing I can explain it or liken it to is the, uh, the creature cantina in Star Wars. Like that's what it was like. And for right. <laughs> years, I just sort of felt like I was still in culture shock and still disoriented by the whole, you know, experience. And so of course I wanted to share that with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, and so on our honeymoon, uh, you know, I, I took her down to Morocco and we went to, to Tangier and then to Azila, which is this beautiful <laughs> little town, uh, white, whitewashed walls and Portuguese, walls from the uh, 1600s. It's like a big castle with a city inside of it. And really in the whole uh, quest for the golden butterfly, when they're walking around in this, this little imaginary town that I made up in Africa, they're walking around essentially uh, Azila and Tangier. That's, you know, I'm just using that experience and the right. things I saw and, you know, people dressed in jalabas and fezes and things like that. And that's actually where the Fez part of the Tiki Fez comics comes in. It's just, oh, okay. I was going to, I was wondering where the, the etymology of uh, Tiki Fez came from. I was like, that's an interesting. Yes. One. Yes. Well, <laughs> I, I have a, a penchant for, uh, for Polynesian imagery, for Polynesian sculpture, for Tiki mugs. Okay. And the whole Tiki culture. And then I also, these are just, I'm grabbing things off of my, uh, for those of you who can't see at home, I'm wearing a Fez now. Uh, right. And I was just holding up a Tiki mug a second ago. Just, just things that I've been exposed to over the years that I just, uh, you know, uh, find their way into projects that I do. So, uh, yeah, the, all of all the way of saying the the whole experience and the whole adventure of uh, you know being in a foreign place and being in a being as I like to say on the other side of the gibberish barrier. Right. <laughs> one thing. One of the things I love about like New York or or any big city, New Orleans is. It's kind of like this too, where you can walk along the street and you can hear people talking languages. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, yeah, okay. I can usually pick out French or German or Portuguese, but I, I love it when I hear a language. I'm just like, what is that? 
Right. <laughs> I've never even heard that. Is that right. from Earth? Like, <laughs> right. You know, and that's that's the greatest thing to me. Um, but that whole idea of yes, the people who are who are talking in that language, they can understand each other. And I can't understand them, so it sounds like they're speaking gibberish to me. Right. And so I say, being on the other side of that gibberish barrier, like I'm okay. I'm walking along with a friend of mine in Morocco, and we're speaking English, and maybe somebody hears us and goes, "Man, I wish those guys would speak Arabic so I could understand what they're saying." You know, it's like right. <laughs> it's it's really a, a mind altering, uh, you know, kind of experience there, uh, which is which is just amazing. Right. I, I had a teacher who once said, "Your education is not complete until you've traveled." Ah, I, I <laughs> see. I, for a long time, I've been a, a strong proponent of exile. I think like right after everybody graduates from high school, they should just be like, just put on a plane and dropped <laughs> off somewhere in the world. Right. Like, okay, we're going to get you back in a year, but for right now you're on your own. Right. Make it work. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You're just like, wait, whoa, what do I do? Like figure it out, kid. That would be a good reality show. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Let's pitch it. Who can yeah. pitch this to? <laughs> Seriously. High school exile. You just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you said you're not, uh, you're, you're done with the sequel to Quest for the Golden Butterfly or you're not? The entire story is complete. It is, I have two sketch pads that have the entire pencil thing. It's all written. It's all complete. It's ready to go. So any movie producers who want to get the whole story, it's there. It's ready. I was talking to uh, one of my comic convention uh, friends down here in the, on the Gulf Coast, J.B. Garner, a, uh, a writer who I met through the whole comic convention circuit. And I asked him in one of his workshops one day, I was just like, you know, I've got, got a 500 page graphic novel and I'm like at least three years away from finishing all the drawings. You know, do I need to do I need to wait till I get everything finished or can I publish it, you know, one at a time serials? He said, serialize it. Just, you know, get the first 100 pages out there. Right. Get the second hundred pages out there. Uh, then at the end, you can publish a whole compendium that has all of the chapters in it. Mm -hmm. And your true fans will buy all of it because they just want to. And I was like, that's great. All I need now is some true fans. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I have the sequel. And, and right now I am literally on the last page of doing the inking. Like, so I've, I've been doing the inking, doing the lettering. I fingers crossed i'm going to send it to the printer this week so yeah so episode one and two will be out there and uh somewhat available again that's the uh that the business side of things is not right. quite as <laughs> as good as i would like it to be because my my extensive staff which consists of three me myself and i um <laughs> sometimes things fall by the wayside <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, so episode one and episode two will be available very soon, and then I'll start working on episode three, four, and five. So, well, talk about your next big project about to drop because that's not all you're doing. You also have something called a night out in Pigtown, correct? It is, yes, a night out in Pigtown, which is a children's book that I've I've written and illustrated, and then my sister, who is uh, now basically our our chief of our board of directors, uh, since my dad passed, uh, she said, you know this book really needs music. The, the book is a series of short, it's just short poems. It's like four lines, you know, in the city of pigs, as the sun goes down, the piggies are dressed to hit the town. And then it has a, an illustration of pigs in, you know, evening clothes out on the street, ready to go listen to music. And it's really based out of 
my experiences of, of living in New Orleans, playing in New Orleans, working with musicians on the Gulf Coast, uh, you know, the whole gigging life of, you know, like drummers and bass players. And you show up early to the get, you know, the party before anybody gets there. You play the whole time. You stay till the last person leaves and you pack up and go and it's all quiet. That's something that musicians know and experience. But, you know, people who go to a party, they don't they don't see all of that. So, you know, it's, it's humorous and it's a city of pigs and the cute, you know, they have cute pig drawings. But then what I've done is it, every single picture I've spent now since November, uh, writing, arranging and recording the music. So I've been working with uh, Tim Stambaugh, a friend of mine who uh, records music in New Orleans. If you've ever heard anything recorded in New Orleans, like, uh, you know, the Mardi Gras Indians or, you know, mm-hmm. Dr. John stuff. I mean, anything you've heard recorded in New Orleans, Tim Stambaugh's name is probably on it because he's done a whole, whole lot of stuff. But yeah, I've got just, just stellar, like a guy with this clarinet player who does amazing Dixieland stuff and a, you know, this great trumpet player and all these, these great musicians and me, I'm, I'm on it too. <laughs> all these great players right. and me, uh, but I have an idea, you know, it's, I can carry a tune when I need to. But it's a really exciting project. I, I am super, super, super excited. It is in the final stages. Uh, and the way that the whole thing is going to work, fingers crossed again, is that uh, each page is going to have a QR code on it. So you can, you know, as you read the story, you can scan the, the QR code. It'll take you to a YouTube unlisted video where it will play the music. You know, so instead of having like a CD that you have to worry about, like, oh, where's the CD for this book? Uh, it'll just be on your phone. Mm-hmm. whatever device you want to use, you know, right there for it. And we can, uh, just, so you'll have the book, you open it up, you read the funny story, it scans. And it's uh, also the, the music is kind of put together in a way. So you go through all these different, uh, you know, m- musical vignettes, if you will. And then mm-hmm. that kind of like wraps it up like a, like a good night story, you know, like it gets quieter and quieter. And then the last song is kind of just like, Shh, okay, good night. And that's, that's from my experience as a, as a father of a small child, <laughs> right? <laughs> you got to have some help getting the kids to sleep. But the real idea came uh, from a lot of the 1940s and 50s movies that I, I love to watch, you know, and I, I love that one scene in almost every movie where they're like, hey, baby, let's go out and hit the town. And they like, you know, get all dolled up. And then they're walking along a street and you see all these neon signs that just go by of all these different clubs. Right. And then maybe they stop into, you know, the Latin club and they're just like, you know, they got a cha-cha going and they stop into the swing club and you got this. And, and then they, you know, then the, they get to wherever they're going and the action starts again. Well, this whole Pigtown book is really just like that one sequence where they're going to all these different clubs. Okay. So, you know, there's like a, there's like a German Bavarian umpa, uh, you know, club where, you know, you hear boom, bop, 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 bop kind of thing. And then, you know, there are jazz clubs and, you know. So that's the different music. So every single time they go to a different place, they can scan the QR code and it'll play the music from that place. Is that the idea? Right, okay. right. Exactly. A night cool. out Pigtown. And I actually have been working on this project for close to 15 years because about 15 years ago, I was teaching elementary school. And I, at the time I had this, this theory, I was like, okay, kids, if you can't think of something to draw, just pick something for the whole year. And just like say, anytime I can't think of something to draw, I'll just draw that. And that year was pigs. And so, (laughs) you know, I said, if you can't think of something to draw, just draw pigs. And so I was gigging a lot that particular year. We were, my wife and I were driving to New Orleans all the time. 
And so I'm just, you know, be sitting in class drawing with the kids and I started to draw, you know, musician pigs and like, okay, here's this pig playing the guitar and here's this, oh, okay, he's going to have a saxophone player with him. It happened one day that I had this, this picture I was really happy with. It was like a big band of pigs. And uh, I had a class that came in and I was working on this picture and I went up to do some teacher stuff and, and the class left and I, I was looking for the picture. I was like, where did that, where did I put that? And I couldn't find it. And I couldn't find it. I was tearing my classroom apart. I was like going, no, no I really needed it. I was really, I was looking for it. I, we're, I'm really happy with it. And I, and I went back and I went to the, the classroom of the kids that had just left my class. They were at recess or something. And I asked the teacher, I said, Hey, um, did anybody bring back a, a pig picture? And uh, the, the teacher said, yeah, this little girl brought back one. And she said, you gave it to her. And I was like, <laughs> I, I didn't actually, uh, and so I got it back, which I feel now, you know, now in retrospect, I feel terrible. I should just let the little girl keep it. But uh, I, the, that was the, the little acorn from which this mighty oak of a, of a uh, okay, I wish it were War and Peace or something, but it's a big book. It's good. I like the book. And uh, just so in case anybody's at home wondering, like, is he really that much of a jerk that he would take this, this thing from this girl? Yes, I am that much. But I, I'm dedicating the book to her. <laughs> nice <laughs> so you know yeah it's been a while but i and i i do intend to give her the first copy of the book like the whole thing and just say and i and i appreciate the fact that she showed me that somebody might be interested in my silly pig drawings <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're making up for it so i'm trying i'm trying <laughs> <laughs> i got uh two questions left you got time for two more i got all the time in the world yes sir all right. So this uh, second to last one. So what would you tell anyone out there wanting to create comics and graphic novels as a last key takeaway, a final piece of advice? I'd say do it. I mean, just, just do it. It doesn't matter. Don't be scared of anything. Don't like, if you can draw yourself, draw it. Great. If you don't, if you can't draw yourself, then go ahead and just do it. Stick figures, just write it, get it out there. I know it seems a little morbid and I, and I just feel like I'm, I'm running from the grim reaper every time I draw any line. I'm just like, gotta get this finished. I gotta get this finished. I gotta get this finished. I, do, I don't want this to be like an un, cause you know, you're not guaranteed any time on this planet. Right. You, your, your next breath is not guaranteed. And I feel that more and more as I get older and you know, that's when you're 17, you think like I just said, Oh, I got all the time in the world, but you kind of don't. And if you, you have ideas and it's, I would say the same to, and, and I do say the same to anybody who is saying, Oh, maybe I, I, I really like music. I really like dance. I really like writing, but the creative, you know, aspect creative careers are so iffy You're like, yeah, but everything's iffy these days. So what, you know, True. like at least if you spend your life doing something you love, you know, it's worth doing. You don't spend your life doing something you don't love. And, you know, yeah, if you want to make comic books, make comic books. There are people out there who will draw for you if you can't draw. But the important thing is just get your idea down on paper, like write it out, get some index cards, write down everything you want to have happen in your graphic novel, uh, you know, work for me. But yeah, I mean, you can, you can hire people and there are a lot of people that'll, uh, you know, I mean, Spike Lee financed his first movie by just like with a credit card and buying people's tank fulls of gas, right? I mean, right. <laughs> I can't afford to pay you, but I'll fill up your car with gas and buy you some groceries. And people are right. like, okay, cool. <laughs> and 
you know, now he's Spike Lee. Come on, man. Take right. a chance. Do it. Do it. Just get your idea out there. So, yeah, I totally, that's what I would say to anybody who wants to create anything. Just do it. Right. And you, you said something real key too. You said, you said that, uh, nowadays everything is iffy. I, I like to say security is an illusion. You know, we, we think that, oh, if we follow this more traditional path, we're a little more secure. Security is an illusion. And if your heart's not in it, your, pa- your passion's not in it, you probably won't succeed much in that area anyway. So. Absolutely. Well, and you know, and some of us just, and I like to include myself in this, I'm just not that good at other stuff. You know, right. <laughs> it's like, I can, I can draw portraits. Yeah. I can, I can paint paintings. I can create stories. I can write stories about pigs. I can make little songs and stuff. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do other stuff. You know, I, I am not cut out for roofing. I, I right. can't do that. I, I have hung drywall before. I do not do a good job at it and I don't enjoy it and nobody enjoys me doing it either. So right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop fooling ourselves, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Absolutely. And at whatever level too. And that's the thing is you don't, like, even if you're not in a place where you can say, I am going to be a 100% all time, you know, comic strip artist. I am just going to do it. Uh, great. Okay. But, you know, like I started doing all this stuff just because I really wanted to do it, you know. And that's it. What's my qualification? I have no qualifications, really, you know, but I'm just doing it, putting it out there and, you know, trying to make it happen. So yeah. <laughs> do it because that's what you do because you gotta, you gotta. Right. <laughs> no, it's great <laughs> advice. Last question. It's just a fun question now. You got to have okay. to, oh. putting on your creative uh, hat now. If you, there it is. That's there the official is. creative is. hat. <laughs> okay. If you could choose to have one superpower, what would it be? <laughs> what would it be and Super why? Superpower. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, I have actually had... See, that's one nice thing about being in the comic book world is that you have this discussion a lot with people. Uh, this comes up a lot. This is not my, my first time of hearing this question. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. But I have actually thought of answers for it. And I do have this conversation with my daughter a whole lot because, mm. you know, an eight-year-old... Da- and for those of you who are wondering, the, the running joke about my daughter is that I am not young. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in my fifties now. My daughter is eight <laughs> and, you know, she kind of came as a surprise to me and my wife. It was, you know, our 15 year anniversary surprise. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, think that she's my granddaughter, uh, which I've gotten used to, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, she asks me this stuff a lot about like, what superpower would you have daddy? And I would say, uh, my superpower would be the ability to complete projects, <laughs> like, like the ability of completion to like, you start something, boom, see it through completion. And she's like, daddy, that's not a superpower. I'm like, no, 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 it totally is. You don't understand now, but it is, it is, right. it is a superpower. And, uh, I am daily working on that. I, I'm, I literally right now I'm working on the whole idea of completing things. So, that's my, how about you? What's your, what would your superpower be, Jack? Oh man, nobody, nobody turned the question on me before. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few. I like, I've always liked the idea of flying, just mm-hmm. being able to just fly wherever. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It's a good one. You know, it's a, it represents freedom, you know, you just kind of go wherever you're not, you're not limited to gravity. Right. Right. <laughs> 
but I like, I like your answer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I need the superpower of completing projects too. So that that's completing uh, projects. That's much more practical. Yeah. What what good is it to fly if I'm not getting anything done? Right. (laughs) Well, and and no, no. And you, and you do want to be able to complete your flight too. Right. You know, find a place to land, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen, if people wanted to follow you online, if they wanted to purchase your books, where can they go about doing all that? Well, let's see here. They could reach out to me. I am on Instagram. If you uh, you do a search for Tiki Fez Comics, I will pop up there. Uh, I have an Etsy store. Uh, that's again, Tiki Fez Comics. If you do a search on Facebook for Tiki Fez Comics, uh, I will show up uh, there. Um, I'm not on Twitter. I don't think I need to add anything to the Twitter verse. I don't have uh, that kind of instant thoughts. So yeah, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Etsy store. I do actually have a YouTube channel as well. If you search Tiki Fest comics, uh, I have a couple of, uh, how to draw videos that are basically aimed at, at kids. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, elementary school age, uh, they're sort of step-by-step how to draw things uh, just little ideas and vignettes and things that I come up with. But yeah, Tiki Fez Comics. You just search anything, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only person out that you won't you won't come up with anything that's even close to it. It's not me, so uh, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty easy to find. Right. Uh, also, you can the, the handlebar mustache. There you go, handlebar mustache on a tiki. Uh, you can also email me directly. I am luckily at the point in my career where I'm still super accessible. Uh, <laughs> I don't even charge for autographs at comic cons yet. Yet. Um, yeah that will that'll come that'll come uh but yeah tikifestcomics at gmail.com you can email me directly with any questions comments concerns uh you know or offers to uh to produce the the tv show that john carlo and i came up with high school exile yes this is gonna happen (laughs) this is gonna happen you me buddy we're there (laughs) we're gonna make a bundle off of that one i 50 50 that's right let's do it let's do it awesome Steven, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you uh, sharing your story. I'm going to have all your links in the show notes. Thank you for coming on the Story King podcast. Thanks so much for having me, John Carlo. I really appreciate it. So that was my conversation with Stephen Harper. All of his links will be in the show notes. Don't forget to check out storykingbooks.com. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. The username is storyking.podcast. I post weekly short stories, writing tips, and quotes from famous authors. You don't want to miss that. And please click like on our Facebook page. We're at facebook.com forward slash storykingpodcast. If you'd like to be a part of what we're doing with this show, please consider becoming a patron. You could choose a monthly membership tier at www.patreon.com forward slash thestoryking. All those links I just mentioned will be in the show notes. One more thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do me the favor of sharing the show with your friends and on social media, subscribing to it, and leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Story King Podcast, a show about the art and business of storytelling and living life. Please join us next time. Until then. Until then.